The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Ooh, shiny. Welcome to Generations Geek, a family-friendly celebration of geekdom by father-daughter pirates. I'm science fiction writer Scott Pearson, and I'm joined, as always, by my daughter. Arg. And we are two generations of geek. This is episode 11, Sinbad and the Eye of the Geek, and we'll be talking about all three Ray Harryhausen Sinbad movies. The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, and Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, because stop motion rules. Okay, we just watched The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. That was Ray Harryhausen's first Sinbad movie. It was also his first uh, movie in color, I believe. Now, this was just the second time you've seen it. What did you think? You know, the first time I watched it, I was pretty little, so it mm-hmm. seemed a more like a fairy tale and looking at it in sort of like awe. Mm-hmm. And now that I watch it again, I love it, of course, yeah. but it needs more like world building and stuff before mm-hmm. they get to the island. It needs stuff before that so you know um, more about the princess and Sinbad himself. But it's just like you're on a boat and then they get to an island and then <laughs> it's just like right away. That it's like if immediately they had gotten to Mordor. I never thought of it that way. I think at the time this movie came out in 1958, uh, they could assume that a lot more people were familiar with the Sinbad character. I still think even if everybody knows who the character is, like Iron Man, you still have upfront stuff so you can get to know the character before you jump into all the action. Yeah, this this wasn't an origin story. It just it's Sinbad. There's no explanation. Um I kind of think it works in that just jumping in to the middle of the adventure and before you know it they're up against the Cyclops. That kind of grabs me as a viewer. I think then it kind of has a lull before they get back to the island. But the problem is, is you don't feel like when you're watching The Fellowship of the Ring and you get upfront world building, you're like, oh, it's the, it's the Shire. It's so happy mm-hmm. and like gorgeous. And then the ring wraith comes and it scares the dog. And um, I don't know which poor old farmer um, he is like harassing. But it, you feel this thing like, oh my God, why is this in the Shire? And you know it's wrong. Even if you haven't yeah. read the book, it just feels not right. So but you- here you don't like when Sinbad goes up against... The Cyclops, you don't feel as much of a like a dip mm-hmm. yeah. because you don't know the character as well enough. Yeah, well, I yet. think that's a fair uh, criticism. I want to back up and talk about the first thing that you really encounter in this film, and that is the fabulous music of Bernard Herrmann. That really helps set the mood. The one weakness that the film has is they're on the island. They pick up Sakura, the magician. Mm-hmm. He keeps begging and begging for them to sail him back. Yes. You know, he's kind of creepy and threatening about it, that he must get back to his island. And he keeps being denied. Sinbad denies him. The caliph in Baghdad denies him. And he's displayed his sorcerer powers by transforming the princess's uh, uh, assistant or or, uh, maid or whatever into the weird snake woman. Mm -hmm. And 
then the real plot twist comes when the princess is shrunk down to like three inches tall. But no one suspects Sakura immediately. <laughs> Especially after he says, oh, I can help you if you bring me back to my island. <laughs> it seems kind of transparent that they would say, wait, wait, wait a minute now. Did you do this? Yeah, I didn't notice but no one, that this no time. No one does, and that's kind of uh, strange to me. But, of course, is I there, just... Is there... Does Sinbad give him a look? I, I feel like he I don't gets know. looks. Well, I think he gets looks because he was an unlikable and shady character from the get-go, but I would, have ex- I would have expected someone, particularly Sinbad, to accuse him outright. But Sinbad goes chasing after him after they find the miniaturized princess on the giant pillow um (laughs) of course it's a regular size pillow i say giant pillow because we were watching some of the extras and they were talking about how they made a 40-foot pillow for the actress i want i want that pillow i don't think you understand how much i need that pillow (laughs) you don't need any other furniture you just need the giant pillow. just the one giant pillow that takes up an entire room yeah it's the bed it's the chair it's it's everything you need oh god (laughs) So Sinbad goes chasing after him and just says, you know, can you help us? It's like he immediately thinks this must be sorcery. I'll get the sorcerer to help us. But it doesn't occur to him, well, maybe it's this particular sorcerer that has done it. I want to blow your mind with a little uh, movie trivia here. Always ready to have my mind blown. Okay. Catherine Grant, who played the princess, was the second wife of a very famous singer an actor back in the day by the name of Bing Crosby. Oh, snap. Which makes Catherine Grant the step-grandmother of Denise Crosby, who played Tasha Yar on Star Trek The Next Generation. So does that blow your mind? Yes. Yeah. Significantly. The shrunken princess was the step-grandmother of Tasha Yar. I kind of feel like it would be fun to be, like, three inches tall if you weren't, like, about to die because you could eat, like, giant grapes and, like... (laughs) So, we've gotten uh, distracted. We haven't really talked yet about the real reason one watches a Ray Harryhausen movie. Stop motion animation! Stop motion power. Uh, There are a number of great creatures in here. Of course, there's a couple different Cyclops. We mentioned the Cyclops already. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a fabulous dragon that breathes. I love that dragon. The dragon is fabulous, and it breathes. And the amount of work that goes into animating. Oh, I've made stop motion films. You know, I am fully aware. Yeah, it's really amazing that he did all that work by himself. When it gets shot with the arrow, that was like it's like you feel it. You're just like, oh. Yeah, it's got to hurt. Oh, God, why? You really feel that impact. You've seen the dragon moving around enough that you really have that sense of it being real. But you also, like, you feel kind of bad for it because Sinbad is, like, pulling it around on a chain. It's just like... Yeah, like any sort of monster in, in these sorts of movies, it's not really that it's bad. It's just a dragon being a dragon. But... Sinbad has to protect himself and Definitely, his men, yeah. and so he ends up having to kill him, and you really feel that uh, that arrow when it hits him. That's great animation. And then the dragon, I think, it's one of the a good death scene. I think Harryhausen is often yeah, amazing it's it's so, with it's his so death scenes. It's so sad and yet perfect, because yeah. she's just kind of falling asleep on the beach, and I'm, I, I am cry. So the first Cyclops... They lead to its death over the cliff, 
and so you don't really see that one. And then the second one gets killed by the dragon. In a lot of the Harryhausen movies, you get to a great scene where there's a monster-on-monster battle. And in this one, it was the Cyclops versus the dragon. And it was a pretty good fight scene. They're always so realistic, the way he... Just the motions and sort of the emotion that comes out in his animation is uh, is amazing. And it kind of puts you in mind of, well, some of the stuff in Kong, King Kong, the original. Of course, Harryhausen was very much inspired by seeing the movie King Kong when he was a boy. Yeah. And some of the effective stuff that you saw in, like, say, King Kong versus the T-Rex, you can kind of see how that, that inspired Harryhausen, but he really takes it to another level. Well, we forgot the rock, the giant bird. He had both the hatchling and the uh, parent that comes back to avenge <laughs> the hatchling being turned into chicken strips by the uh, <laughs> chicken strips by the starving <laughs> sailors. And that's great too, a fun double-headed bird. But the standout, most famous scene in this one is, of course, Sinbad's battle with the skeleton. And that scene holds up so well. What what do you think of the watching the skeleton scene again? It was really good. And as I was watching it and, I mean, the rest of the movie, I was just noticing how, like, well they actually managed to blend in the stop motion with the yeah. actual actors. But then, like, when we went back and we were watching the special features and stuff, I could see that it was, like, on top of a thing. And I just got really angry that I noticed that. And then I was miffed. <laughs> I, I don't understand what you mean. I could... I... Yeah. My eyes managed to tell the difference between, like the blue screen and the skeleton so I could tell like the blue screen seemed more 2D mm-hmm. and the skeleton seemed 3D and I got angry that I noticed it. And then I, I stopped I don't watching. I t- see, I, I like watching the behind the scenes stuff and for me it doesn't... Yeah, it was definitely, it was really interesting. I just was angry that I noticed that. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't, it, generally it doesn't take away any of my enjoyment sort of seeing behind no, the scenes. No, but it was more, it was, I was just very pleasantly surprised at how uh, well done it was. And oh, I yeah. I noticed the... And then I, all I could see was that for a while. And then I was frustrated. And another thing we could compare, it's not stop motion, obviously, but once um, the second part of The Hobbit comes out, we'll be able to see Smog. Smaug. I'm sorry. And... And... Brits. And... and uh... Compare dragon to dragon. Yeah, I mean, just like <laughs> see the difference between like this modern stuff that's obviously not stop motion at all and um, the stop motion dragon. You really need to see the movie Dragon Slayer, which I picked up several months ago, but we haven't gotten around to watching yet because they use a technique in there that they referred to as go motion. And they had a miniature, the dragon miniature was mounted on a motorized armature that then was computer-controlled, and so it moved the miniature. So they were actually filming it live, but it was controlled almost like a little animatronic puppet. Awesome. And so... That it, reminds me of, of Dragon's World that I used to watch, and I was like... Oh. It was like... It that was, was the CGI one, though. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was completely CGI, but I still I loved it so much. It was like very, like, they found a dragon's, like body yeah. slash remains and we're like dissecting it 
and then you got to go back and see what happened through CGI, and I just loved it yeah, so much. I want to go back to the skeleton scene for a moment. When you were talking about how well things got blended together, and yeah, the the technique that Harryhausen used, where he was rear projecting the footage, uh, live action footage, and animating his uh, creatures to that footage being projected frame by frame allowed him to create an interaction between the two that's really surprising so that when they are like swinging swords at each other they can hit each other's shields and it's all just timed perfectly and especially looks so... when um he when the skeleton like walks past him up the stairs mm-hmm. and he is like pressing his sword against <laughs> Sinbad's sword yeah. and Sinbad's sword is like against his neck and you can tell and it's like that was crazy. Yeah, and it also shows how we're so used to everything being just photorealistically perfect these days with everything being CGI and, and cleaned up digitally. And But you go back and look at some of these classic films, like here we are talking 1958, uh, over 50 years old. Long time ago. Yeah, and although they're using much more... Primitive techniques, the they're still so effective and exciting, you know that uh, that even though they they don't have quite the same photorealism, they really can gather you up in the story and just keep you at the edge of your seat. Nevertheless, now we move on to Harryhausen's second Sinbad film. The Golden Voyage of Sinbad from 1973. We've leaped ahead quite a while from the first one. was uh, 1958. And you can tell the difference. Do you have any first impressions that you want to mention? I like how in the beginning they're literally like, Oh my, what a gorgeous, beautiful, sunny day on the sea. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and then... uh the like little bat guy little, drops little the thing and kind of Sinbad creature. starts hallucinating and and things are set in motion. Mm-hmm. Now, what did you think? Still no upfront world building. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, you're still just expecting. You get to... like these minute little like funny character bits like every mm-hmm. once in a while, like with the drunk guy, but there's still no real yeah. world building. Well, yeah, he doesn't do. An origin story. He just starts. And then they're all talking about Allah, but they're just, they're like all white guys. Funny you mention that. Yeah, and in all these, the the cast are primarily white folk portraying Middle Easterners of various persuasions. But for me, it's much better in this one. Even though they're still all white folk, I think that the bearded, fabulous John Philip Law and the dark-haired Carolyn Monroe somehow have a semblance of a, a, a more ethnicity, if you will, yeah. than the stars of the previous film. The 1958 film, it's a little bit more cutesy. You know, there's the little uh, guy in the lamp. Yeah, there's that's the, true. The, the, you know, the blonder romantic interest that gets shrunken. The clean-shaven Sinbad. In this one, a lot of them seem to be putting on some sort of generic Middle Eastern accent to give it more atmosphere. And so I think this one works a little bit better in that regard. 
Oh, there was one more thing I wanted to mention right up front. Did you recognize the bad guy in this one, Prince Kura? Which was actually a little awkwardly named because the bad guy, the bad wizard in the first one was Sakura, I think, was his name. <laughs> and then in here we have Kura. Maybe they're related. Why? Yeah. But did you recognize him? Did he seem familiar no. to you at all? I noticed they had him wearing red eyeliner. But... The <laughs> Prince Kura was played by the fabulous Tom Baker, which is which numbered Doctor Who? He was the fourth Doctor with the scarf and the hat and the hair. All right, yes. Now, let's do the creature roundup on this one. We have the little gargoyle creatures we mentioned already. Mm-hmm. I love these little guys. They're so expressive. And later on in the film, when you see him animate one, like he finishes yeah. the spell. the way he starts like twitching and like kind of gets up and then is unsure. Yeah, the transition from this lifeless thing laying there to being a breathing, believable creature is so distinct thanks to Harryhausen's skill. That's just fabulous. Then you have the fun, uh, the figurehead. Prince Kura animates the figurehead on the boat, the wooden woman, to uh, steal the the navigation chart. I love the creaking sound effects yeah. that go along with her movements. Although I'm confused. Did they ever show them, like, carving a new one? No. Because there's a little continuity error yeah. at the end of the movie. There's another one, but She's never there. even show them. <laughs> and I yeah. think they just... Yeah. Forgot that they should have kept that part of the boat out of the shot. <laughs> then the great Collie statue. Yeah, that one was really good. So too. the Collie statue that uh, once once they get to the island, it's always going to a mysterious island in, in the movies, it seems. Always, yep. They get to Lemuria. That's the thing. Where Prince Kura is uh, wanting to get all sorts of great supernatural things. And he animates a statue of Kali, a six-armed statue of the goddess Kali. I feel like if I had six arms, I'd just be knocking stuff over all the time. Clumsily bumping well, into things? Well, because it's like, or, uh... I, I already do that <laughs> and, like, knock things over. So if I had six arms, it'd just be, it'd like, be tricky. like yeah. Oops. three oh, times me. the Excuse knocking me. things over. So if and you were bumping like, into people, if you're trying to like get into a seat in a theater, it'd be yeah, like, oh, it'd be oh, like oh, a there comical winter popcorn, like, oh, popcorn, oh, soda, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> it's a great sequence because she magically Kura gives her his sword, and then she magically has a sword in each hand. So it's a six-armed statue, six swords fighting off the whole gang of Sinbad people and it's uh you know executed very smoothly and fabulously as always and uh, it's a very fun scene one thing we didn't comment on one thing that's building through the movie is the comic relief character yeah starts doing better and better they get they gain a guy at the beginning of the movie who's just kind of this drunken lout and and comic relief, but he starts uh, getting braver and pitching in as things go on, and he really leaped in there to fight Kali. That was yeah. that was nice. It's almost like he's he's trying to help, but he but he but he keeps like kind of half 
failing, but not all the way. Like, when no. he's like, all we have to do is make like, make a strong rope. And he takes off his belt and his pants fall down. It's like, yeah. well, what, <laughs> what did you think was going to happen when you took the thing that was holding your pants up off? Like, what? They had gotten imprisoned in this cave. It's a great escape where they tie a rope that they make to an arrow that they or a hook that they fire up through this hole, this sort of vent in the ground. And uh, But then the guy, he has the comic relief of dropping his pants accidentally, but then he's also the one that shoots down the other little gargoyle yeah, that's then flapping he, yeah. around Sinbad. So. I also don't get, though, like, what what could those things possibly do to you to make him want to be like, no, get away! Why I was like, why are you just climbing up? Just get, you're like three feet away. What, it, like... Yeah, it is, it is a little oversold. For, for those who haven't seen the film... Sinbad climbs to the top of the rope, almost to the top of the rope. He's almost to the point where he can climb out of the ground. And one of the Prince Kura's little flying gargoyle creatures that are just like 12 inches tall at most is like buzzing at Sinbad, and he stops to like swat and swat away at the thing when you think he can just ignore it. And then there are these dramatic it. shots of the air on the top where it like slips and then it's like yeah. over the hole and then it's like moving around, but it's like just just climb but out. But why not just climb? Because it's tiny. Even if it bites you, it's like a parrot. Yeah. It's like you're getting attacked by a budgie. Yeah. Just ignore <laughs> it and climb. But because it had it had like decent sized wings, but its yeah. mouth was like tiny. Yeah. But it's still a fun scene, and it's great that uh, Comic Relief Guy Did shoots them. The last creatures featured in the movie are are great. They after the Collie sequence, then there's they the throw, like Cyclops Centaur. Yeah, they throw Carolyn Monroe down to the Cyclopean Centaur, so, and then there's the Griffin. And so first, the Cyclop, the Centaur guy just takes the one character away, and it seems like, well, that wasn't much. But then they start fighting with it, and he's the forces, he represents the forces of evil, and then the forces of good become represented by a griffin that comes out of a different cave. This is all going on down underground in front of a magical fountain. And so then you have a classic Harryhausen monster versus monster scene where... The griffin and the centaur are fighting. The griffin's my favorite. The griffin is a fabulous creature who gets, who loses the fight because Prince Kura, the dastardly evil guy that he is, is a butt. He slices its leg from behind and disadvantages it, and so the centaur is able to take care of him, and then. You get the showdown between Sinbad and Prince Kura, finally, fighting dun, dun, over dun. in front of the, the magic fountain. Let's go back a little bit, though. What was your favorite part of the movie? I like a lot of the scenes on the boat, or ship, I should call it. Mm -hmm. And why? Uh, because boats are cool. That is true. It's sort of leisurely... I like, uh, I like tall ships. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun to watch the ships sailing and the guys climbing in the rigging and all that stuff. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And I like, you know... I didn't understand the scene where Sinbad had um, the, like, comic relief guy sit in the crow's nest and he was all like, I have to go up there. It's like, yeah, man, you get to go up there. Come on. 
because you would love to be up there. Yeah, I'd be up there all the time. I'd be like, see, I'd be so to, yeah terrified of the <laughs> heights that it would. I wouldn't have any fun. I'd be like, yeah, because <laughs> because when you're up there, like it like it swings around it swings, more yeah. than the rest of the ship. You're over the water. Half yeah, the and time so most of the time you're is... like leaning over the water, but it's yeah. like just this little cup that you're sitting in. And I like. Well, I also like. The, the leisurely nature of some of those scenes. Yeah, it, where they're just kind of like, you know, whatever. And they're yeah. like barrels of fruit. It's the old days. It's the old days of movie making when there wasn't an explosion or a CGI effect every five mm-hmm. to ten seconds. And <laughs> so, you know, some could argue maybe it's a little bit too slow, maybe a little bit of a lull between the setup and when they get to the island. But you, you get the sense of that journey. And you get the sense of the the camaraderie between these guys on the ship before they get to the yeah, island. Yeah, that's what I like better. I like um, instead of all the guys having to go through something really big together. I like it. Um, even though that's gonna be really fun, mm-hmm. I like it when they're just like like just those little things that you see where they're all lying around. Yeah. And like somebody's playing the harp, and he's like, "You like it? Want to play the harp, Captain? <laughs> I'd like it if you play a tune." <laughs> that's funny. It's like it's yeah. like in Mash. When, like, some of the scenes are just, like, Hawkeye putting weird organs in people's boots and then, like, falling <laughs> off his cot laughing, but it, it, it's, it's better. The character scenes. You get more character yeah. scenes in older movies than you do now when everything is much more action-packed. You don't get those quiet character scenes. Or, like, just, just a little, like, funny things. Like, when, I don't remember who it was. I'm still talking about MASH. I don't yes. remember who it was. There was, like, a... A guy that came and he was like hanging out with uh, Hawkeye, and of course they were drinking martinis. But the guy gets so drunk on martinis that he ends up falling over. But he gives the camera just like this deadpan stare before he falls over. (laughs) And he has the same look on his face as he's falling over. (laughs) And he's just like a straight, like when a tree falls over, it's just straight, (laughs) just straight falling back. And it's like, Whenever I see it, I can't stop laughing. And our listeners, this is the has to be the only podcast where a Ray Harryhausen Sinbad movie would make someone think of Mash. You just never know where well, the references like, are going to go. It's like I like <laughs> things where there's like this sense of like this really big sense of like a community or like companionship, yeah. especially like in Mash when they're in like Korea. It's just like am I? It makes sense to me. Yes. It it makes sense, but it, uh, a remarkable tangential <laughs> detour there. So let's bring it back to Sinbad. <laughs> so you like the scenes on the on the ship as yeah. they're sailing, the character scenes. Were there any spots in particular that you were disappointed with or seemed weak to you? In all of these movies, there always has to be like the woman that somehow like ends up on the ship which i get like that's fine <laughs> you want to have romance like whatever but why did cuz sinbad like brings her on the island it's like why remember she had the eye tattooed on her palm and sinbad had seen that in his visions at the beginning of the film and so he knew that there was some import to her, but he didn't know what it was, and so that's why I he still, brought her along. I still don't 
think that I mean of course she ended up kind of like saving them because she was like a distraction but I still don't think it was a good enough reason to like bring her because she's just like she doesn't know anything about how to fight to like yeah yeah and then it's also like they're always wearing like those like gypsy pants and then like one third of a shirt <laughs> I can forgive it but yeah that's my well and it's issue. I mean you have to uh it's the time it's like in the Lord of the Rings there's not that many um Strong female characters because yeah. that's just that's just what the time was like. Yeah, like, well, and I, also I still love it. The old school filmmaking, and this was from 1973, but it yeah. was sort of harkening back to the old style of filmmaking because Ray Harryhausen was just a, you know, a golden age kind of guy. And at that time, you always had the romantic interest, no matter where you were, no matter what sort of situation you were in, where normally in that time period it would be all men. There always was a way to work in one woman to have the romantic. Uh, yeah, so it's not lead. like the Avengers. Of course, there's some at the beginning. There's some Pepper and Tony, but it's not the. It's but that was <laughs> pre. I'm. I like Marvel movies. So I would say, comparing the two, I thought this was a better film. Really. I like the first one better. I don't dislike the first one. I like the first one quite a bit. But this one was just, because it came out in 1973, since that time had passed from the more squeaky clean late 50s, it's just a little bit darker, just a little bit grittier. Maybe saying it's better isn't quite fair, but it's a style of film that appeals to me a little bit more. It's a little less fairy tale ish and a little bit more gritty fantasy adventure. Well, and part of it might also be uh, be because since I saw the first one at such a young age mm-hmm. that it just seemed like a fairy tale. I mean, at that well, at that it, age, anything seems like a fairy yeah. tale. But um, well, it's I mean, just kind of like ah, when I see it over again, yeah. Ah. Well, it has the Aladdin's lamp kind of thing. It's a little bit more like a fairy tale. So they are two quite different kinds of Sinbad films, even though they're both from Ray Harryhausen, because they have the different atmosphere of the time period they were made in. Now we come to the third and final Harryhausen Sinbad movie, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, from 1977, a few years after the previous film. Bum, 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 bum. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Not to be confused with the you-can-never-get-it-out-of-your-head song, Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> Even you know that song. We sing it um, on the bike trip. Ah, I see. To pump ourselves up ah. at the campfire. <laughs> well, where shall we start? How about with we now have yet a third Sinbad. This was... And yet still no upfront. World building. Their style. Now we have Patrick Wayne. He does all right. For me, John Philip Law in The Golden Voyage of Sinbad is the best of the three. Patrick Wayne, he looks the part well enough, but I just found his acting to be a little wooden. Harryhausen's creatures are more animated (laughs) than Patrick Wayne. (sighs) (laughs) We talked last time about there's always the romantic interest. Yes. And in this film, there's two. Mm-hmm. There's uh, Jane Seymour, who went, who went on to become a, quite a famous actress. 
plays Sinbad's fiance, essentially. And her I found just, she's just entirely too British. Carolyn Monroe in the previous film is also British, but she came across much more ethnic, so to speak. I wish they had left her dreadlocks in. She and, has dreadlocks at the beginning, and I think yeah. They well, they're more just like yeah, braids than dreadlocks, but, but they uh, were. Like, but yeah, it was it was a yeah. little bit different. Uh, uh, and then there's the uh, woman whose name escapes me that becomes the uh, romantic interest for the prince. Yeah, and but you know she was an entirely different. I don't know. You know, she was blonde. I don't know where she came from. <laughs> yeah, she but, just kind of like appeared. But she was, well, I mean, she was the daughter of the yeah. the good uh, sort of magician or wizard or whatever. For me, overall, Carolyn Monroe and John Philip Law are the, are the best pairing for the uh, movies. Um, let's see, what else did they add in this? There's... There was all these, they were doing spinning kicks when they got into sword fights. Yeah. They were, they were getting a little martial artsy, which I didn't think uh, really worked for me. Plus, when you're sword fighting, if you stop to do, like, a spinning kick, you're just going to get, like, cut. <laughs> so. Yeah. Did you notice in the uh, opening scene, it's a little disjointed. The, there's the, an opening shot of fireworks, which I think are supposed to tie into the celebration of uh, the uh, prince becoming the caliph, although there's no real establishing shot. There's just suddenly those fireworks. Uh-huh. And did you notice in one of the stock shots of the fireworks, you could see what looked like a power line? Oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> it goes by fast. This sounds like I'm kind of ganging up on the movie here, but it's still a classic Harryhausen film. It's very enjoyable. There's lots of great stuff in it. Should we talk about the creatures? Should we go to the creatures, the creature list? Let's do. The first creatures are fun. They're like these sort of insect-like Yeah, those are really awesome. They're that, like, they have like human skeletons, but then their skulls are like ant-like, and they make those little cookie sounds. But then they have these horns. It's yeah. like a, it's a real mix of stuff. But they're, they're nice, creepy little uh, creatures, yeah, and it leads cool. to a great uh, creature versus Sinbad fight scene, sword mm-hmm. scene right uh, near the beginning of the film. That was a lot of fun. Uh, then, of course, one of the stars of the film is the baboon, which is actually Prince Kasim, who's been transformed by the That was evil so sorceress. funny when the one, like, worker sees the princess and the baboon playing, playing chess, chess, and he, like, yeah. falls in the room and is freaking out. <laughs> and he's like, Captain, I saw the baboon playing chess. I know, he's beaten me three times already. <laughs> and that was funny. Yes. Yeah, the interaction of the baboon and the people playing chess and stuff is very well done. And then there's the main evil guy. There's the Minotaur that the sorceress creates. That's like bronze that so looks he's, silver sometimes. He's sort of a clockwork minotaur. He's, but yeah, super he's, cool. He's got a clockwork heart, but then he's also animated through the uh, evil uh, sorcery. He's a great yeah, he's Harryhausen creature. Oh, there's the little scene with the giant bee. What they call like a mosquito. And I think like... that was supposed to be a joke. I don't know. That was a little awkward because it was clearly a bee. It's like a mosquito. That's a mosquito. Like, is it though? <laughs> Before we get to the last couple of creatures, let's go back to the progression of the film. As we move through the film, once again, basically what happens is Sinbad has to take... Uh, the romantic interest on his boat 
and chase off to a mysterious island while being pursued by the evil person in order to find some sort of mysterious magical power or sorcerer. For the third time. That essentially, yeah, all three films <laughs> have this sort of motif that flows through them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it works well, but it's. I wish there had been something a little bit different, a little bit more... Although I believe that Harryhausen was, after this one, he was trying to put together a fourth Sinbad film for many years, which was supposed to be Sinbad Goes to Mars. Sweet. Now that would have been very different. And then there was a comic book made, Sinbad on Mars, I believe, that Harryhausen was involved with a few years ago. But maybe that, I think that would have broken open the formula. But it's still it's still fun. So as they're fleeing to the mysterious island this time, they're going to, uh, well, there's actually two mysterious islands. They go to the first mysterious island and pick up the good wizard sorcerer guy. And, and his th- daughter. And his daughter. And then they have to head to the North Pole. Usually this kind of thing is done to the South Pole. There's kind of a history in genre fiction that when you go to Antarctica, then within there you find a mysterious, magical, tropical environment. And so then there's a fun scene. We get to the next big Harryhausen creature where they are attacked by a giant walrus. The Sinbad movies obviously tend to be in warm Middle Eastern settings, but here we get to see them in the snow and the ice being attacked. In the giant parkas. In the giant parkas being attacked by the giant walrus. From there, they eventually come across the warm environment, and then they meet the troglodyte. Did you mm. love the troglodyte? Yeah. Because <laughs> the, then he's kind of like a good character. He's like helping them. What often happens in, this, in the Harryhausen films is things that are just basically being themselves, being animals, get cast in the role of the bad guy. Well, they're attacking the hero, so they have to be killed. And so you're always watching these fabulous things get killed. Where here, when the troglodyte comes up, they're able to sort of make peace with it, and then he becomes their ally. And that's a nice uh, touch. His movements, his facial expressions, it's just that attention to detail that Harryhausen had. Before we move to the final couple of creatures, what are, what are your comments? What did you think? I like all the cinema movies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is still kind of my favorite. Like I okay. like the skeletons that they fight with. The skeleton, there's a single skeleton. yeah. It's a fabulous scene, and at some later point, when we do another show on more Harryhausen, we'll have to do Jason and the Argonauts, because yeah. that's the one where there's the I multiple I always mix that one up with the scene. first. But I, yeah, I like the skeleton fighting. I think that one works more without world building. The first one? Yeah. Like, if you're going to not have any, I think you should, because it makes it better, <laughs> always. I think that one worked. But you want to give it, like, a feel. I think the feel comes just from the surroundings, the costumes, the everything, for me. I'm going to use a Lord of the Rings reference again. When you're in the Shire, um, they develop the Shire. I've said yep. kind of this before. Yep. So that you know it's just like a happy place where tiny little hobbit children run around on the grass <laughs> and they farm <laughs> and are tr- and like dragging pigs around and the old hobbits are playing like chess or something. Um, yes. And they like dance and... Everything, and then, boom, then there's the <laughs> Black Rider, and, and yeah, it gives you more real. of a sense of, like, oh my god, what is this doing here? Because yeah. you know that the Shire is happy and sunny and 
pretty and fireworky. <laughs> when you have a three or four hour film, then you have the luxury of taking the time well, not, to develop think, those I don't things. think um, that Sinbad should have as much world building as um, The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings did by far because those yeah. have big opening scenes um, because they're a lot longer. Yeah, I just think I mean. that it'd be nice to have, like a, even if it's a shorter scene, mm -hmm. a scene at the beginning where you develop, this is Sinbad, he's the captain, he's super cool, they chill on a ship and sail around, <laughs> lie around in the sun on the deck with barrels of fruit. Mm-hmm. You know, so that then when you're like, whoa, stuff's going down, you can tell that it's different from what usually happens. So we have just a, well, actually just uh, one more creature. When they get to the end of the film and they're in this big pyramid temple in the uh, warm part of the North Pole, then the guardian of the temple comes out and it is a big saber-toothed cat. And that's the last that's my favorite. creature. That's your is that your favorite creature in this film or in all the films? In this film. Okay. And this also leads to the obligatory creature versus creature fight scene because our pal the troglodyte comes in and uh, and has a uh, like, throwdown with the saber tooth. I don't think so. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't end well for the trog who uh, sacrifices himself, and then but Sinbad and the gang have to uh, take care of saber tooth. A couple of other interesting things I wanted to point out. The skeletons remind me of the bonies from Warm Bodies. I wouldn't be surprised if that the people who made Warm Bodies were a little inspired by the skeletons from Harryhausen. Yeah, they move kind of the same, too. Yeah, yeah. Except for bonies or CGI. And... Yeah. One of the things I wanted to point out is when they got to the first mysterious island where they picked up the good magician and his daughter, the temple that they lived in was the uh, the Holy Grail Temple from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Just a couple other little things. There's a bit when they're trying to sail through the ice as they're approaching the North Pole where Sinbad shouts out, Two degrees port! But then they go to starboard. See, I always forget which way is port and which way is starboard. So I... When you're facing the bow of the ship, port is on your left and starboard is on your right. When you're facing the bow. Okay. Bow, stern, port, starboard stays the same all the time. So you don't have to yell, no, no, no my left, my no, left, yeah, yeah, exactly. But when he said two degrees port, he gestured to his right, but he was facing forward. And one little annoying thing I had in here was when the evil sorceress and her son, who was actually played by the same guy that played Drunken Lout Comic Relief that. in the previous film... He's back in this film, but as a different character, as a bad guy. Uh, when they arrive at the Pyramid Temple, there's no op they, they can't find their way in. And so she says, we have to make an opening. And, uh, and, and like bellows it because the poor actress in here, her direction was like to yell angrily every line yeah. of dialogue she had. <laughs> and uh, so... We she have to makes make an some opening. she makes we some have potion to follow them. she throws the potion on the big block of the pyramid, blows it up, and then the Minotaur pries the rock open and gets crushed by the big rock. yeah, that was weird, 
But then they got like one minor fight scene, and then conveniently, just, like, thing. the big block of stone that she seemingly picked at random happens to be right in front of a tunnel. I mean, there was nothing there that explained like this is where the door is, but it's covered up. I don't remember noticing that before because you're kind of just caught up in the story, but. You're like, why is she yelling everything? <laughs> and then she has, like, the foot that you don't see after the first, like, two times. Oh, I forgot about that. That was a great bit. She transformed herself into a seagull to go spy on Sinbad, and she gets captured. Hijinks ensue. Some of her, her potion her, gets yeah, spilled. Her, like, And so when potion. he tries, when she tries to transform back to human form, one of her feet stays like a little webbed seagull foot. I like that they actually had a seagull like wearing the necklace. Yeah, like they 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 obviously had a somebody somebody in the, an... in the business mm-hmm. had a pet seagull, a seagull wrangler, and they put the the like potion necklace on it. It was so kind of the, surprised. The seagull was like standing there like this, like seagulls do, <laughs> and um. The listeners didn't get to see her impersonation of how a seagull stands. It's as good as my praying mantis impression. And he's just kind of looking around and he's wearing like this necklace. You're kind of expecting that at some point it's going to become a Harryhausen animation. But the I seagull didn't that. the seagull stays, it's just, it's a live seagull the entire time. They never uh, they used a stop did shot any for animation. One, though. When it like flew out, yeah, it didn't you can have see the there's a on, there's a couple different yeah in the sh- in a couple shots you can see that it's, it's funny when animals different, wear jewelry yeah. <laughs> so you've already said that the first is your favorite yes. of the three, and what's your next favorite if forced to choose between the second and the third film? What would you go with? I guess for the next the one, the second one, the second one, yeah. yeah. See, I think for me the second is my favorite. And then the other two, I don't know, you know, kind of equal. I just wish that there were more. I wish he'd gotten to make Sinbad Goes to Mars. That would have been fun. He could have done so much with that. There would have been all sorts of Martian creatures. He could have met John Carter. He could have. <laughs> well, there would, that would be a good crossover, Sinbad and John Carter. That's all the time we have for this episode. Tune in next month for episode 12, District Geek. Rounding out our first year of the show, we'll welcome guest Kevin Dilmore, Star Trek author, master of Hallmark Trek ornaments, and all-around power geek, to regale us with delightful stories from San Diego Comic-Con, Star Trek Las Vegas, and other fabulously nerdy things. Please submit your questions for Kevin on our Facebook page, or email us at thegeeks at generationsgeek.com. Remember that Generations Geek is a part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts from a ghost ship in the Bermuda Triangle. Please give their other fine podcasts a listen at chronicrift.com. And please follow Generations Geek on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and check out our website at generationsgeek.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next time. No geeks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Ooh, shiny.